and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. How you doing, Jonathan? Julia, I'm doing great. I just had two papers accepted. I'm submitting a grant today, and I said something funny on Twitter. Amazing. You know what? I'm also doing really awesome. I got a stage one registered report accepted in principle today, and I also said something funny on Twitter. And you know what? The dinner that I made last night, so delicious. That's amazing. Good for you. Good thing things are going so well for us because today we're talking about (laughs) self-promotion. And and actually, Um, (laughs) if I had to guess, do you you like the term self-promotion? Oh, um... I don't have a strong initial objection to it the way I do to like networking. <laughs> well, but, that's what um... I was thinking of. I, mean, I guess I, I, anyway, I, my, my feeling is that many people do not like the idea of self-promotion because in their minds, it's in the same category as networking. And it feels yeah. kind of like yucky and like you're supposed to do it, but you know, but I don't know how to do it or like, I don't know. And it's but, kind of like, like, you people might think it's kind of like in poor taste too, right? Like we should be humble and modest right? and getting out there and bragging about our accomplishments is not in line with that. Right. Well, and maybe that's something we, maybe we should start with that is that I think there, um, there are different ways to self promote uh, until we come up with a better term. And I think there are like annoying ways to do it and there are less annoying ways to do it. So I'd say, like, the way that we started our podcast today, I would classify that as the more annoying way of doing <laughs> right. it. So maybe let's talk about ways to do it other than that. But maybe before we get into that, uh, why do we why do we self-promote? Why is that a thing we have to do? Why can't we just, like, throw throw our work and our ideas out there and, you know, let them sink or swim on the on the cruel tides of public opinion? <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of this goes back to... Um, uh, 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 to making friends who are doing interesting things that are related to what we do. In, a, mm-hmm. in other words, networking, but don't call it networking, um, mm-hmm. which we come back to all the time. And I think, uh, you know, um, everything we do as humans is strongly social and science is no different. And I think, you know, so much of our enjoyment and success for most of us, like, uh, depends on the other people that we know, that we share mm-hmm. ideas with and that, um, kind of, you know, help us weather the storms of academia. And so I think self, you know, self-promotion kind of falls, and for me, falls in that category, right? It's like, um, Julia, you know me, but you probably don't have time to read every single paper I write. Uh, but if I tell you about one, you might remember it. And maybe that yeah. will, you know, um, spark a collaboration or just help you out, or maybe you'll cite it or whatever. And, like, if you... I think I actually do read most of your papers, <laughs> but, wow. um, but if, you know, um, but if, you know, it was somebody who's, who I, whose papers I don't read, um, if somebody wrote a paper that I would be interested in and it just came out, I would love to know about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like if it's, you know, right up my alley and like related to stuff that I'm doing, I would be delighted if they wrote to me and was like, Hey, I wrote this paper and I think you'll find it interesting. Like, I would love that. Nobody, nobody's ever done that. Listeners, listeners, I would love that. Um, Careful what you ask for, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm not guaranteeing, you know, but like, sure. um, I've, I have, I, I can think of one time when I sent a paper to somebody because like their work inspired my approach. 
Right. And so it wasn't so much a like, mm-hmm. please read this and give me feedback. It was like, a, hey, I want you to know that the paper that you wrote is influencing the field because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, um, and that seems really nice. That doesn't seem like self-promotion. That That's seems like more like a thank you note. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, I did get I, I got a really nice Twitter message from someone recently who had like read a paper of mine and then said it was like ringing in their ears when they were reviewing another paper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wrote me a note to just say, and that, I mean, that isn't like self-promotion. That's more of a, you know, thanks for your service to the field. And so I think in some ways, sharing our work can be, you know, a, a way of showing gratitude to somebody if, if it was related to them or inspired by them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe we could maybe get into other topics too, but we should, maybe we should start with papers because that's mm-hmm. one of our primary outputs. And I think most of us want other people to read our papers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, uh, so I'll, I'll share a story of a way that didn't work very well, but this was when I first started thinking about it. Uh, so I, I got my PhD in 2005 and that was right on the edge of when like, I, and you kids out there will not believe this, but that was right on the edge of when, um, electronic journals were just kind of coming into being popular. And it's like when I started my PhD, we all had print journals. They were at the library. If you wanted a copy of an article, you would walk over to the library with your copy card and find it on the shelf and make a photocopy. And then you'd put it in a, um, you know, a a hanging file folder with a little title on it because you didn't want to go back to the library and copy it again. So you like, you kind of guarded these, you know, photocopies very carefully and you wouldn't copy every paper and so on. And so, you know, when you had an article published, we would typically order um, reprints, right? So little paper copies that would come from the publisher. And you, and then every once in a while, we would get, a, a, we did have email, we'd get an email from someone saying, can you send me a copy of this paper? And we would, you know, from the lab, we would go into the right file drawer and get the paper copy and put it in an envelope and mail it to someone, um, which all seems ridiculous now. But I do remember one of my first articles that got published, I thought it was a good one, and we got some reprints, and I sent it to, like, 10 people in the field. Like, I Mm -hmm. I typed out a letter, dear Dr. So-and-so, I thought you might find this interesting, you know, sincerely, Jonathan Peel. Um, And I I don't think any of them ever read it, and it probably wasn't as interesting as I thought it was, although one person did email me back and thanked me for for sending it, because it was related to their their prior work. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was like my first entree into thinking that like maybe this is a thing we should do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So when so when you have a paper come out now, instead of mailing a bunch of copies to people, what uh, what's what's your approach for you know getting it out there and making people know about it? Well, the main approach that I use, uh, well, mostly is Twitter, really. Um, so tweeting about papers and I think, you know, I find Twitter threads annoying in some ways, but I do think they're also useful for like paper summaries. So I think the, Mm -hmm. like, you know, five tweet summary of a paper that where you kind of include all the figures and like a short sentence about each one, um, Mm -hmm. is actually pretty useful. Um, so that's mostly what I, what I do these days. The other thing that I found, um, really useful uh, so if you present a poster at a conference, if you have like, I don't know how this translates to online conferences, but in, in olden times when we would go to a, a, a room with a poster there uh, and, you know, some people want a little paper copy of your poster. And so you might 
print a bunch of extra copies at like a little on a regular sheet of paper and have them there for people to take away. That's good. But I started doing little sign-up sheets. I'd say, oh, just leave your email address. I'll send you a copy. And then that list of people that wanted a copy of my poster, I would send them a PDF of the paper when it came out. I'd say, hey, last year mm-hmm. you were you were at my poster. I just want to let you know the paper's out. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I mean, obviously kept telling people about your work is, is useful, but these are people who are already interested. And I know right. also for myself, if I see a poster I like, I sometimes I'm like, well, I wish I could cite it, but it's not a paper, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. So it's actually useful to know that like, oh, that cool thing I saw is now, is now published. So like, yeah. I kind of didn't feel, I felt like it was already, it was being a, being helpful to them and not just quote unquote advertising. Right. Not just sending them your chain letters and things like <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> well, it does. Well, anyway, we can come back to like some barriers to doing this, but um, what, mm-hmm. what do you do, Julia? Yeah, um, so uh, mostly tweet. Um, Once we started, like, making videos for conference presentations, it occurred to me that making, you know, a short two-minute video or something with the, like, big questions and, like, major take-home points from from papers um, would be an awesome thing to do for just, you know, general, like, uh, both for, like, science communication to the public and also sharing my work, you know, more publicly because I know... Many more people will watch a two-minute video on Twitter than would read the whole paper. Um, and so we decided, I'm, I'm just going to start doing that as like, a, you know, every time a paper comes out, I'll just make some kind of fun and short video um, to help, you know, just get the get the message out there uh, a little more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just want to say, I love that idea. It also mm-hmm. feels like a little intimidating to me. You know, so uh, in our last episode, when we talked about the things we want to keep from the COVID era, uh, mine is making fun videos. Turns out that's the thing about online teaching that I just loved is like (laughs) making cute and quirky videos. Um, And so I'll be happy to have an excuse to do that again. Well, you know what? Maybe you just need to do a tutorial so that all, all, all of our podcast listeners can then go make quirky, fun videos. Oh, well, luckily I already have. There's one on the, uh, framework um for uh reproducible research training website we'll put a link in the show notes but i talk about um kind of my my approach for doing videos for online classes so oh cool great we We didn't even plan that you thought ahead great and uh where would show notes be for today's episode juice and squeeze.net slash 43 yeah 43 awesome yeah okay Mm -hmm. yep um yeah but i don't uh how else you know, for a long time, every time a paper came out, I would I would email it to my PhD advisor, mm-hmm. and it really felt like a you know like a kid sending home their report cards or uh-huh. something, being like, "Hey, look, Dad, I got another pub." Do you not do, I don't that, do anymore? that anymore? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. At some point, I was like, I mean, I'm sure he would still love it, but I yeah, I don't, I don't right. do that anymore. Well, you know, um, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just I was kind of getting back to like. Um, Picking up on that and something you said earlier, but in a way, like a bigger question is like, who are we advertising our, our work to or, or sharing it with? And I feel like there's different categories of people. So like, um, if you send me one of your papers, you, we already know each other and, and mm-hmm. we do similar work and you know that I, I like reading your work. And so you sending it to me is more like, um, you know, I can't keep up with all the literature and, and, uh, I miss papers all the time. And so you sending it to me, like, we know it's going to be helpful and hopefully it's a low bar, 
Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll say here publicly, please send me all your papers and they get published because I might miss them and I want to, I want to know about them or your PhD advisor, right? It's like a very safe person who is interested no matter what they may or may not like be doing that work anymore, but, but they're interested. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, so that's one audience. And another audience I think is like established researchers in the field, which as a, when I was a PhD student, I felt like literally everyone, right? Like everyone is more advanced than me. Everyone was more fancy than me and like knew more than me and whatever. And so that felt like a bigger bar to like email Dr. So-and-so, you know, and she's the expert in this area and and she's never met me. Um, It's like, well, why would she care about my paper? So that's mm-hmm. t- that's kind of tricky. And then there's like people in the middle who are like maybe more of a peer group, you know, other PhD students or people at our level who you don't feel as intimidated by, but maybe don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. Like, so Twitter is kind of nice because you don't have to pick which of those audiences you just put it out there. And you hope that people who are interested take it up. Uh, so I kind of like that. But I also feel like it's probably a little bit less effective because it's so broad and so on. So have you ever, have you ever tried to like be intentional about sharing your work with someone you didn't know who's like an established person in the field? I've never done that. No, I haven't done it much. Um, I mean, apart from that time that I said I mailed all the paper reprints, I can't think of a time recently I've done it. Um, Should should we we set a challenge? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so you don't have to say who it is, uh, okay. but find someone. You know, pick someone in your field uh, uh, who you think is, you know, of some of some standing and respect, and and that you're intimidated by. I guess that's really the the um, the challenge. And then and then tell them about one of your papers. So I'm, I'm this, think- is a, this is a challenge for like, like when a new paper comes out, right? Like it would be weird for me to be like, Hey, Dr. So-and-so this paper. Came out five years <laughs> right. ago. Sure. Yes. It can be a okay. new paper, but, or, or something recent, maybe in the last okay. year, I think it'd be fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. Okay. By by next time we have, we, you know, we, we haven't had a lot of follow-up Julia, so maybe we should do a follow-up <laughs> on, uh, on this at some point. All right. Okay. Um, unless, unless it's like I sent them the paper and it was just crickets. Well, but I think that's part of the point is that like in real life, just like a lot of other things we've talked about here, um, you don't always get a response. Like you're probably not going to get a mean response where someone's like, you idiot. Why are you sending me this stupid paper? I think it's more likely to be like nothing or, or, you know, Hey, thanks for sending it. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll do it. Okay. Great. Me too. Um, okay. So you can tweet, you can send randos your papers. Um, are there other ways? Are there other ways? Yeah. Well, so, um, what about when you're giving a talk, how do you highlight your, your papers in a talk? Or do you think about structuring your, your talks around a paper? Yeah. So, um, Yes. So I try to, you know, what when I'm when I'm giving talks that are um, that aren't just about one paper, you know, that are like kind of like big picture. Here's a bunch of my research kinds of talks. Um, I often try to describe those in like narrative style, right? So it's like we were interested in this and we did this study, but that led us to wonder. Blah blah blah. Here's another study. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those, usually I just like you know put a citation in the corner. 
uh, so that people can get them if they if they want to. Um, uh, and and then I also try to use those as an opportunity to to highlight, um, you know, the the students who were involved in them, um, and kind of give some give some props to them. Um, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. No, well, me too. But I guess I, what I'm thinking is like. Um, and it's common, so it's not like we did, we didn't. You and I did not invent this idea of putting a little citation in the corner. But I do think it's useful. Not everyone does it, um, and, and I think it's helpful in sort of yeah building that narrative and then just helping people find it. And I know now, like now we have Google, so you don't need to know what journal it was in, blah blah blah. But people forget, and it's much easier if I'm going to write something down on a piece of paper or by phone. You know, strand, you know, 2021 in a particular journal is much easier to find than like, you know, strand sometime, I don't know when mm-hmm. or where or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also, you know, of course, we have preprints now, too. And so I think it's also useful to sort of say, like, hey, this work is available as a preprint, you know, and this other work is here's the journal it's in. It just helps people kind of, you know, discover discover what you've done, I think. Yeah. I also always um, put a QR code at the end of my slides that links to like um, my OSF page with with the slides on it, so that people can like go back and get the actual slides. Oh, that's cool! And then find the citations too. Yeah. Do you? Um, I've never tried this before. So if I'm in the audience at your talk mm-hmm. and I point my my phone camera at your screen, will that will it pick up the QR code? Yep. Ah, oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's but if you're fancy. watching it virtually, you know, it works on uh, off the sure. screen too. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's good because, you know, um, well, maybe this is obvious for people, but just in case it's not, um, uh, if, if you have like a personal website, which is another thing we'll come back to in just a minute, you might put that on there. So I might, at the, sure. at the end of my talk, I might say, hey, for, for reprints, go to jonathanpeel.net. Mm-hmm. But that's something, first of all, people won't spell peel right, so they'll probably get it wrong. But even if they do, <laughs> you know, it's like you'd have a chance at, at getting it right. But if there's a long link, like to, you know, osf.io um, slash fbrk25, right. whatever, you know, it's it's a little bit more annoying to type in, and you're not going to remember gonna, it once it's I'm off gonna the I'm going to buy that website screen. so we can referral <laughs> <You> people. <laughs> I'll link to that in the show notes. Um <laughs> Uh, and and so having a QR code, it will just open up in your browser, whatever you associate it with, right? And so um, yeah. uh, you can have if you have a long, annoying URL for something, uh, it's it's a lot easier. Do you, how do you make QR codes for people who don't know? Do you have a website oh, you um, use or? Uh, by Google, make QR codes. Okay, okay. I, uh, there isn't one I'm loyal to. Okay. Um, I'll put a link. I, do, you, do you know the website? Let me Google that for you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll put a link to let me Google that for you for how to make a QR code into the Perfect. show notes. Okay. Um, I will also usually at the end of a talk um, put my Twitter handle mm-hmm. uh, because then maybe people will want to know more. You know, one thing that came up um, a few ep- we, we did an episode on science communication. Uh, back in January. And one of the comments that someone made was that they kind of wanted to follow their professors, but they felt weird about it. And they Mm -hmm. liked being encouraged to like that. It was okay. Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I mean, obviously depending on the, the talk and the situation, like it might be weird if you're like, Hey, everyone follow me on Twitter. But I also think just putting, putting that information on there sort of like, 
makes it seem like that would it's like implied that that would be okay. Yep. Um, and I think that helps lower the bar too for because you know, this is also like yes, I want people to know about this particular paper if I think it's a good paper, but it is really you know a subset of the getting to know people. And, and I think you know when you interact with people generally, then there, it's also easier to share your your recent paper with them. Uh, anything else about talks? I guess we, you know, we talked like self-promoting and also like promoting trainees and students, you know, like helping mm-hmm. to kind of boost them as well. Um, uh, you mentioned, you mentioned websites. You want to talk about self-promotion via websites? Oh, I think we should. Julia, what percentage of academics should have a website? 100. I'm going to guess. <laughs> That's the right answer. Is that right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. I, mean, I really think it's, um, of course, I'm biased about this, but but when did you, I know we've talked about it before. I think we can revisit it. When did you have a website and why did you put one together? I think it wasn't actually properly until my faculty position. Like, I don't think I, I definitely like, didn't in grad school. And I had like, there was like, you know, I was on the lab website of my, my postdoc um, position, but, mm-hmm. but I didn't like have my own until I was a faculty member. And I think in part, cause I was like, I only have one pub. Who's going to search for me? You right. know, it's like kind of a, um, uh, it, but, but I, but I think that's a bad way to do it. Right. Cause you put your interests and the stuff, you know, like the stuff that you're working on and a link to your OSF page. And like, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think it's good to have regardless. I am really struck, um, as an editor when I'm trying to invite reviewers, mm-hmm. If if I can't find, well, I guess, I don't know. I was going to say, if I can't find your email address, I can't ask you to review a paper, which might not actually be a great incentive for people to, um, <laughs> right. to make their website accessible. Uh-huh. But but also, like, you know, if you can't find your website, if you can't find the information about you, you also can't invite you to give a talk or, you know, do mm-hmm. something that you might want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. So sometimes, um, and the other thing that happens is... Um, I imagine this has happened to you too. You will ask me to review a paper and I write back and I say, no, uh, I can't do it. I'm really sorry. I'm busy. You you could try Jamie Riley. Mm -hmm. And so then you are like, who's Jamie Riley? So then you Google Jamie Riley. And if you can't, you're like, if you can't find, if you're listening, I know who you are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. I was having fun with Jamie, (laughs) but there are lots of Jamie Riley's. Right. And so if you, if you Google Jamie Riley and you, and you're like, Oh, the number one hit is, um, this guy who directs, uh, you know, concepts and cognition laboratory at Temple University, and that's related to the paper. Like, that's a pretty good indication that you found the right one. But if yeah. you try searching for for him and you like, you don't see anything, right? Or like the the twentieth link is like a LinkedIn page that you can't actually access. You're mm-hmm. probably not going to invite him. And and again, yeah. maybe maybe reviewing a paper, maybe he doesn't want to review the paper, so it's fine. But you know, for invited talks and symposia, and um, every time I've put together a list of of speakers, you know, I try to invite people I don't already know. And if I don't already know you, um, a web page is the easiest way for me to get some basic information. Um, so everyone should have a website. Uh, the other reason, so what are if you don't have any publications? zero you're, you're you know whatever career stage you're at you have zero papers what's some other stuff you could put on your website um and why would people care you, you listed a couple things but why don't we just go into that a little bit yeah so like bullet points of of like what you're interested in uh you know what what you study 
um, stuff about, you know, background, right? If you're a grad student, you put like where you went to undergrad and things. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, even if things aren't published links to preprints or data sets or, you know, OSF materials that you have, things like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, your CV contact information. I think all, and all that's really useful, right? Like if I want to invite, uh, uh, an early career researcher for a talk, all of that stuff might help me figure out if they're a good fit, even if they don't have any any papers. Um, yeah. I also think things like linking to OSF or, or GitHub or whatever, like that can also start to show um, areas that you're interested in. Like, I don't know if it's quite meta science, right? But like, like if you have a GitHub page, I can look at your code and like mm-hmm. that tells me you have some technical skills and you, you care about organizing it and sharing it or OSF. You're thinking about, you know, sharing materials there. So I think there's a lot you can communicate um, with people even without, without publications. Yep. Yep. And the other thing is, so the other, my other advice is to, um, find a website that is not going to change when you change institutions. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there are free options. Like you can do a Google site um, or you can pay for a domain name, which are typically like $15 a year. Um, And the reason is that unless you're at your forever institution uh, and you trust that they're never going to change how they have the website um, set up, um, that when you move, like, you know, all the search engines have to like figure out where your web page is again. And, and one thing you can actually kind of build up is like, you know, being easy to find um, by, by being a consistent presence on the Internet. So like if mm-hmm. JonathanPeel.net has been around for 10 years or whatever, whatever it's been. And so like if I were to move institutions, it would still be there. So if you have mm-hmm. no publications, Google will still learn that like, oh, Julia Strand has a Web page and here's where it is. And then if you have a publication, it'll find it right away. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not quite as bad as in the old days. It would take a long time for stuff to get indexed, but I still think it's worthwhile, uh, worthwhile doing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. When you were telling people how to spell your name, cause you were just talking, like you said your website name and you're like, oh, people are going to spell it wrong. Uh-huh. Do you have like, do you have like a cutesy phrase for how to tell people to like, remember to get the E's and the L's in the right place? Well, the, you know, the, the most common, I don't. The most common thing is um, people put in one L instead of two, uh-huh. um, and it's really funny. I actually, you know, so if I'm if I'm in person with someone, like a, you know, trying to buy something at a store or something, um, uh, and you say, okay, you know, peel P E E L L E, and you can just see them writing one letter at a time, and they write one L, uh, mm-hmm. and so then I, I kind of I'm always like, well, that second L is kind of tricky, you know. I have like, I do have a little <laughs> a little spiel about. Uh-huh. about it um mm-hmm. but no i don't i don't have a good like jokey way to introduce it <laughs> three e's two l's one p <laughs> <laughs> then they're gonna start spelling it the opposite way i mean <laughs> the um there's an old there's a family story uh where someone it, uh, uh, one way people used to spell it was p double e double l e um, oh that's and, good but then they got into p w what oh yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. anyway so I actually, but it, that actually, it, you may have not meant to, um, but it does raise a point that if you have an unusual name uh, and you have anything on the internet, you, you're, if someone Googles you, you're, you're going to come up right away, probably. Um, uh, 
But if you have a more common name, it's actually important to try to distinguish yourself from other people with a similar name. And so again, mm-hmm. having your own website that has lots about research in your particular area and links to things related to that area will make it much easier to find. Yep. I, you know, as we're talking about this, it occurs to me that if one, you know, um, okay, so we are kind of assuming that self-promotion is useful and works and like is helpful, right? Mm-hmm. And to the degree that that's true, um, and the fact that this is like another hidden curriculum thing, right? Mm-hmm. That is like, mm-hmm. we're not explicitly taught how to do. And it like definitely is not something that comes equally easily to all people, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you can absolutely imagine that people who uh, are from groups who feel more privilege and sense of entitlement are going to have an easier time being like, hey, hotshot, here's my paper, than someone who doesn't share those, you know, unearned advantages. Yep. Um, and so that makes me wonder, I mean, that makes me feel ookier about self-promotion, right? If it's if it's a thing where we're like, this is important, we have to do it to get ahead. By the way, this is another thing that's going to be way easier for like confident, extroverted white men to do. Yeah. Um, you know, like like maybe we should be looking for ways rather than teaching everyone how to self-promote themselves to f- find ways of sharing. I mean, so when we were talking about papers and like papers coming out and I was like, boy, wouldn't it be nice if there were a way where anytime there was a paper that had the words listening effort in the title, I was like alerted of it so that I didn't have to wait for somebody to send it to me. And there's, you know, like there's Google Scholar notifications. Um, you can like follow search terms. Um, and I also have a thing set up. I don't, I don't know. Is this like cheeky to admit this? That when a paper of ours gets cited, I get a notification about it. Um, and that's in part because like I want to know, I mean, not just, you know, who's talking about us, but also like that's going to be work that's relevant to ours. And it's a, it's a way of like mm-hmm. keeping, you know, finding out about it. Um. But but it does make me want to like look for ways to avoid having to have people self promote. Well, but I, I, I yeah 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 I totally get that point. I think um, in a way it goes back to the dis- like some of the distinctions we already made though. Like there's um, th- there's having a website with information about you so that you can be found, and yep. having a blurb about your paper, which is mm-hmm. different than than having to you know, email people you don't know and, and kind of um, be a little bit more um, aggressive for lack of a better yeah. word. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and I think, so m- maybe one thing you're saying, Julia, is like um, we can co-promote other people in the field that I don't have to just promote my own papers. I can mm-hmm. help advertise other people's papers, which might help lower that bar uh, a little bit or maybe make it a little bit more... Um, uh, equal, but I can't do that if if I don't know about them. So sure. there's a little yeah. bit of a catch twenty two. Or like if if um, uh, if there's someone who I think is doing great work, but they have like no internet presence, it's really hard to tweet about it, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. So like I think you know maybe you know step one, which seems like hopefully a little bit lower, fewer barrier barriers, is like having a public presence that people can um, other people can help you know learn about you and and, and link to. And then step two is probably the harder part that is perhaps a little bit more prone to to bias and and, and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's also, there is a thing too, where like you have to be, I mean, I'm sure none of our listeners would, would do this, but, um, I, I could imagine someone else being a little bit annoying about self-promotion, right? Like I'm going to email you every week and ask you another question about a paper or whatever, yeah. tell you something else that I did. And after a while, Julia, you might just like not want to hear from me anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And there is like, uh, um, I feel like there is a way, especially on Twitter of, of just, always only talking about yourself and how awesome you are. That is that, it, that, yeah, that is pretty tiresome. Um, well, that's a fine line to walk. Mm-hmm. Well, we're like, we're like, yeah. get out there people, but you know, not too much. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of getting back to a lot of other things with, I think public personas are, are, or how we engage with, with people publicly is something that um, can change over time and can also change with practice. Uh, And so I think the, if you, if one never tries it, then, then you don't know how it's going to be. And and maybe the first time you email someone a paper or tweet about a paper, like afterwards, you're like, I don't really like how that went, Um, Mm -hmm. but you can change it. And if you never try it, I think it's, it's, you're not going to magically be an expert at this. Um, I totally think also that the the further along you are in your career, you know, that, that comes with a lot of, you know, privilege and lowering barriers. And so for me to like tweet about one of our labs papers, um, I don't feel very conspicuous about that anymore. Uh, cause yeah. I've done it a lot and I have more than one paper and I have a job and, and all that. But when it's like your first paper, you're like, this is my only publication. It's my, my little research baby I'm going to put out in the world, you know, Anyway, that can be very intimidating, which I which I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So, Julia, apart from, I mean, a lot of what we do is research papers, but it's not all that we do. What are some other areas in which we might want to self promote? Yeah. So, um, so one uh, one thing is is putting yourself out there for opportunities, right? So, we talked, I think, in the episode we did about giving talks. Um, about like offering yourself up or, you know, getting, getting yourself invited to give talks places. Um, and, and often, you know, if you're going to, if you're already going to be somewhere, um, and you offer up, you know, say, Hey, I'm going to be in town and I'd be happy to come by and chat with people or give a talk or something, you know, that that's often something that people will say, will say yes to, right. Especially they don't have to like fly you out and put you up in a hotel if you're going to be there anyway. And so Mm -hmm. that seems like a kind of an, an easy way to, um, uh, to, to approach that. Um, another one is n- nominating yourself for stuff, right? Like a lot of times there will be like awards or opportunities, you know, grant, opp- I mean, right. Grant, grants are just all, a ton of self-nominating, <laughs> right. um, you know, but like, like awards or, uh, or, or things like that, uh, you can often nominate yourself. And I think people are reluctant to do that. Um, I've only I've only done it once, um, but I, I think like that that's a that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, um, you know, or or ask someone you know and trust to uh, you know to do it for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into that. Uh, you said a lot of things. I want to um, just come back to real quick. So mm-hmm. um, for the, for the nominations, you know, so these are 
I've seen this most often for things like you know travel awards or um, mm-hmm. early career research awards, and and many places will say explicitly self nominations are accepted. Yeah, or or sometimes they'll say they're not. Um, and, and so just to unpack what, what you said is if there are no self-nominations accepted, you can go to someone like an advisor or a colleague and uh, that you trust and, and say, hey, would you be willing to nominate me for this? Mm-hmm. Um, and and don't you, wouldn't that feel weird to do, though? Um, maybe at first, but <laughs> but maybe we should get over that and just do it. Well, if 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 one of your students came to you, Julia, one of your students who uh, uh, you liked, um, I'm sure you like all of your students, and they came to you and said, Julia, will you will you nominate me for this? Like, why didn't you already nominate them for it? Like, why 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 do they even have to ask you? Oh, but because you know you hear about a million things that come across your desk, and I'm busy, and who's got time? And you know, I I I I try when I see like especially things that I can nominate students for to think like. Is there a student that would be good to nominate for this? Um, but I'm sure there have been a bunch of times when I have a good student that I could have nominated for it. And like, I just got busy or didn't think of it or whatever. Um, and so I would I would not be at all bothered by a student saying, I'd really like this. Especially if they said, like, I'd really like this. If you think I'd be a good fit, mm-hmm. I'd be happy to, delighted to have you nominate me, whatever. Um because sometimes you just need that little shove, right? We're like, we're all busy and have a lot on our minds and like, maybe you just wouldn't think of it, but I would never be, I mean, I, I have had people ask me to nominate them for stuff and you know what I, when I thought about it, I was like, oh yeah, no, they would be good for that. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's just fine. I don't know. What do you agree? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Oh no, totally. I just think there's so many opportunities out there and there are uh, there are there are things I've heard of, but slipped my mind, or I don't know when the deadline is, or there are things I've never heard of that if you don't tell me, you as a person who I could nominate, uh, if you don't tell me, I'll never know about it. Right. right? Yeah. So I, I think it's it's really um, yes. I I think it it does for many people. It feels awkward to do that, but being on the receiving end of that, it does not feel awkward at all. Um, and I also like um, I'm a grown up, and if if I don't want to nominate you, I will say, I'm really right. sorry. I don't think it's a good fit or I can't this time, but ask me next time or whatever. I mean, yep. th- that's my job. That's not your job. So I think ask asking people is totally, um, totally fine. The other thing I wanted to get back to is um, you mentioned uh, inviting your inviting oneself to give talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also now with Zoom, of course, I mean, yeah. we had Zoom, but like um, online talks, I think were less common and now they're more common. Um, but you know, I, I think it's, I think that's very intimidating for people to do, uh, for many people is to like self invite themselves <laughs> for a talk. Have you, have you done this? I think, I think you have, but can, can have, we revisit yeah. that? Yeah. How did it go? And um, was it weird for you? No, I mean, I'm sure I had like little flickers of like, Oh, what if they don't want me? What if they say no and things, but, um, but no, I feel like, you know, you got to get get yourself out there and you'll get some no's, but you'll get some yeses. Mm-hmm. And um and yeah, I I I think it's a great thing to do. So how would you j- just to help people walk through this a little bit? Like mm-hmm. if if there's um there's someone whose work you respect but you don't really know them. Mm-hmm. How like how would you go about broaching this <laughs> broaching this idea? Like step 1 is is what? 
Uh, for to you mean to like to do yeah. a Zoom talk or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I feel like if it's someone whose work you respect and you want to make some kind of connection, maybe a Zoom talk isn't the right hmm. a- approach, right? I feel like I feel like that's because that's more of like a one way flow of information. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, yeah, in person is is always better for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but if you know if uh, there is you know the university of this and such has a great cognitive zoom brown bag and there are people there who whose work you think is cool and who you think might be interested in your stuff and you want to impress um i would i would email you know i'd figure out who's ever in charge of it and email them and say it looks like you've had such a great lineup in the past uh I do work that's related to professors, this and such, and this and such. And I think they might be interested in some of our new data. If you have any availabilities in your, you know, colloquium series, I would be delighted to give a Zoom talk. Mm-hmm. My CV is attached. Please and thank you. Here's a link to my website. Good. Here's a link to my website <laughs> that I have. Uh-huh. And yeah. strand out. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think that's great. Yeah. And I, the other thing that I think is good, especially for, um, well, for anyone really, but it, it, lab talks typically have a lower bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and oh, so yeah, right. if someone wanted to, um, uh, you know, if someone thought my work was interesting, uh, they wouldn't have to necessarily give a psychology department talk or an otolaryngology department talk. They could just write me the, the same letter that you said, but just say, oh, I'm doing some work that I think is related. You know, I, I would be, I would love to talk with people in your lab about stuff you guys are doing, or I could, I could even, you know, give a lab presentation. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm always happy for people to give talks, and we would probably do it Zoom unless they were local. But I would say, sure, why don't you give a 20-minute talk next month on the stuff that you're doing? Yeah. Um, and even if it's not as good as uh, in person, I think, you know, I would still get to know um, that person's name and the kinds of stuff they're working on, and uh, that can be really effective. Yep. Yep. Okay, but now for the listeners who are saying... Come on, dudes. I got to like write papers and teach classes and write grants. And now you want me to do this other thing of like getting myself out there? How do I even know where to do it and who to talk to? And especially in the era of Zoom, like you could potentially ask everyone in the world to give a talk at their lab meeting. Mm -hmm. So how do we how much how much is the right amount? And how do you know where to focus your efforts? So I think more than more zero is the wrong amount. Uh, uh, at some point, obviously there is probably too much. Um, I think doing something is good. I think as a graduate student, thinking about potential postdocs uh, is a, is a good way to narrow the field. Uh, Mm -hmm. and hopefully that's a smaller number than everyone in the world, uh, who does Mm -hmm. research. Um, and also like I would, uh, all of these are skills that that you can get better at, like giving a Zoom talk. And so if you really want to do a postdoc with um, Dr. So-and-so, maybe that shouldn't be your first Zoom talk. Like you find someone else who's like in the field and interesting, but maybe not your first choice and like give a lab talk there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I do remember I used to prepare for talks for days and days and days and days uh, and it was a huge chunk of time, and and now I don't do that anymore. 
for better or for worse, but I think partly because I've gotten faster and more efficient and and stuff like that. So um, you do get better. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like it isn't something that you have to do all the time. Um, You know, try it here and there every once in a while. But um, but yeah, it doesn't it's uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend having this be your new hobby. No, no, no. But like, like once a year would be a great sure, place to yeah, start, once a year. Yeah. right? Like, and that, yeah. that maybe it seems like too little, but actually by the time you find the right person and get on the schedule, um, it's not, it's not crazy. And it probably it's, it's more than most people are doing now. So I, I yeah. think that would be a good, a good reasonable goal. Oh, you know, one other twist on the, like inviting yourself to give talks is organizing a, a symposia, uh, sorry, a symposium at a conference. Mm-hmm. Um, so many conferences will have, um, you know, organizing committees that like pick pick the symposium uh, or, or organize them without any input. But other places uh, you can like suggest them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons why this is this is good. So my the first time I did this, it was a um, I think it was a mini symposium at Society for Neuroscience, like ten years ago or something. Um, but if you organize it, then you're interacting with all the potential speakers. And so, so if I'm organizing a, a little symposium on, on listening effort, um, I'm going to email Julia to ask her to participate. And if she says no, I've still gotten to, to, to trade emails with her. And if she says yes, then we're going to go give a talk and we get to hear each other's talks and she hears my talk and, and then maybe we go out to lunch afterwards and it's like a nice little social event. So I'm, I met, um, organizing that little mini symposium, I met like a whole bunch of people in the field for the first time and they were all super nice and like, we're still, you know, colleague friend types. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was super useful. I I did that as a postdoc, a lot, you know, graduate students can do it. Faculty can do it. I think it's really kind of like career level agnostic. Uh, Mm -hmm. again, it might feel easier when you're, you're more advanced, but, um, I don't know. I got an email, uh, a couple months ago from a postdoc who was organize, organizing a symposium and it was super interesting. And so I said, sure, like I'll, I'll be on your application and we didn't get it, but it, I wasn't like, oh, it's not fancy enough for me. I mean, mm-hmm. no one really cares, I think. Um, right. Yep. And special issues can be like that too. Uh, again, mm-hmm. that's typically not graduate students who are organizing special issues, but, but um, might help with that or at uh, other career stages that can be, it is a lot of work, but similarly, it's very valuable because you're corresponding with, with lots of authors and getting to read their papers and they get to know you a little bit. And so, yeah, I guess generally like organizing stuff is, mm-hmm. is a good way of, of getting to know people. And, and if that includes sharing your own work, that can fall under self-promotion, I guess. Yep. Yep. I know we want to wrap up soon, but maybe just for five minutes, can we talk about like are there downsides to self-promotion? Like you, you talked about like, um, you know, systematic biases and, and sort of injustices, inequity in academia already. And that that can be exacerbated. And I think that is um, certainly um, a big, a big topic, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, for individuals, you know, for listeners who are just like, Oh, should I try this or not? I I guess, are there real, you, you know, what are other downsides or, or, you know, real or perceived yeah. So, I mean, I guess the like, you know, it's nerve wracking to put yourself out there in fear of rejection and that kind of stuff. Sorry, is this a dating podcast now? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but you got to get yourself out there, even if it means getting rejected sometimes. Um, 
otherwise um, i guess there's there's the we've mentioned a couple times it can take time to do that um yeah and yep. so that's there's like an opportunity cost that if you spend a week preparing a talk that's a week you're not doing other stuff that you might want to do yep what about if you are promoting your promoting a paper and like it's not very good or you're worried that it's not, you know what I mean? Like I, if, if I, if I publish a paper and no one reads it and then it turns out it's not great, maybe that doesn't matter. But if a lot of people read it, am I going to feel, am I going to feel stupid? I mean, I would argue that if there's a paper you're not proud of, you shouldn't publish that regardless of how many people read it. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that that's not a problem with self-promotion. That's a problem with only, only. Well, it's stuff. a little rhetorical. I mean, it was like a little, you know, yeah, rhetorical, yeah. but it's also true. I think, don't you think there's a little bit of a, like, if I'm going to advertise my work, what if someone finds a mistake kind of sure. thing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, part of doing science. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tough luck is, is Julia's response to that. <laughs> well, my, my response to that is if there's a mistake, in there then people should find it mm-hmm. and you know and and you self-promoting is will will help the scientific process unfold i mean um, does, doesn't this kind of get back to our you know other discussions we've had about transparency and sharing and yeah. that if from day one you're planning on sharing all of your work then when you get to year three of that project and you do share it like you've been thinking about that all along and it's yep. not it's yep. not this big surprise like oh no I have to share it because if you're going to publish it you are sharing it and yep. and in a way the more transparent you are along the way the less there's like you know you're not going to have some big secret part of your project that that people are going to find out because you've been transparent along the way so I do think right. I think that can lower the bar a little bit yeah yeah um, also uh, worth noting putting your materials on open science framework uh, is another way of like enhancing discoverability because mm-hmm. people will often search OSF, you know, looking for looking for data sets or looking for for interesting projects. And so making sure your stuff is on there and as appropriate, you know, tagged for people to find it with, with mm-hmm. keywords. Well, and that's tr- actually, uh, j- this is a totally off topic, but except for what you just said, like metadata is actually incredibly useful. So that can oh, include yeah. like keywords, like, you know how journals ask you for keywords and we roll our eyes. Um, that can actually be very helpful for people finding your stuff. Uh, what words you use in your titles and abstracts. This is probably a whole other podcast we should talk about. But mm-hmm. um, but just, yeah, it, it, discoverability and searchability, I think, are like a huge a huge part of this too, which is maybe a less, um, a less social part of self-promotion, right? It's like algorithmic self-promotion yeah. or something. But just, just being discoverable, I think, is, is helpful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, Julia. All right, we, listeners. Should we, should we wrap it up so we can go have time to self-promote? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I got to go write some tweets about some papers now. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. All right, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.